Welcome to Growing Up Fire with Jamie Coots. Seahawk, it is our commitment to you that you have complete access to the top professionals, industry experts, and products for your fire service. We stand by the service and products we provide. We are proud of our past and we are constantly listening to our customers and exploring new ways to bring better options to the fire service. This is Seahawk. High level, safety, service, security. Please visit our website at www.seahawkservice.ca or give us a call at 1-888-791-4210. Welcome to Growing Up Fire, Season 2, Episode 8. I got Logan Mann in the house today. Actually, even better, I'm in his house down here at the MD at Tabor. Thanks for having me, bud. You betcha. No problem. It's kind of cool because we get to talk about this. You're forever messaging me about stuff that I said or screwed up on my podcast or <laughs> or things that I said, laughing about the Fort McMurray fire, which we'll talk about today and things like that. So, yeah, it was super cool. Thanks for having us down, touring us around. Never really been in this part of the country, so super exciting for Kirsten and I to be down here and kind of see all this stuff and see what's going on. You know, hear all the different things in different parts of it, right? So let's just get into it. Growing up fire is all about the story, right? So paint a picture for us. How did you get into firefighting? Well, I knew I wanted to do something to help people when I was younger, and I just going through the motions of what, what I could get into, and it came down to I wanted to be a cop or a fighter pilot or a firefighter or kind of three pretty cool things for me. I have a slight color blindness, so that took police work out of the picture. Can't tell a guy that he's wearing a purple shirt when it's uh, <laughs> when it's red. <laughs> and I, I guess you gotta be not very tall to be a fighter pilot. So being six foot two is too big for jets, I guess, so. Okay. And then back in 2007, 2008, I found out my um, ex now, but at the time we were together, obviously, and we were having a kid, so. I was working as a security guard and I found out that I wasn't probably going to make the bills very, very well <laughs> working security for the rest of my life. What? So that doesn't pay good. <laughs> I had a couple of buddies in uh, Fort McMurray that were uh, working up there and they were living in a travel trailer. There was three of them at the time in a little gravel road where we didn't even have cell phone reception. I said, well, do you think I could get a job up there? And they're like, yeah, yeah, no problem, man. You just got to come here and. So I went in my 91 Plymouth Laser up to Fort McMurray. <laughs> <laughs> Lived in a camper on a gravel road yeah. with no, uh, no nothing? No wow. cell service. We had to drive down the road to talk to our loved ones <laughs> and sit sit on the gravel road for a couple hours and talking. And then you'd be like, okay, well, I'm going to bed now, so I won't be able, you won't be able to call me. Back and, to the camper. Yeah. Wow. So I eventually got my foot into a door at an industrial oil place up there. And I started as a contractor in 2008-ish. I want to say. And then uh, I became a supervisor for a company in 2009. And then uh, 2011, I got hired by the, the oil company up there. And as soon as I got hired, I knew well, I had an emergency response team or a, a fire team, rescue team, stuff like that up at their work. I, so I filled out the paperwork. And two weeks later, I was on my way to being a firefighter Boom, in 2011. Nice. Yeah. One of those like volunteering on a whole other level, eh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I did my regular job during the day and 
and then I took the training uh, on my days off. So that's kind of cool. Like, you know, everything in Fort McMurray, it doesn't matter where you work, is larger than life, right? It's the biggest of this and the biggest of that in the world or North America. Or So you're surrounded by all these crazy big machines and mines and all of this stuff. And then you go to a fire hall and get into a regular fire truck. Or are they regular fire trucks, I guess, is a better question. Some of them are regular, yes, in terms of size and stuff, but their pumps aren't. I mean, I think the minimum pump we have is probably... 2,500 gallons a minute off a draft and they go up to, well, some of our new pumps go up to 6,000 plus gallons a minute. Which is crazy. Like your average firefighter can't even fathom that, right? Someone says they have like a 2,500 gallon per minute pump. You're just like, holy man, that's a big, what do you guys do with that thing? Like who can supply that water? And, you know, I was really lucky in my career with the Alberta Fire Training School. I got to go up there and I got to work for Albion Sands and I got to work with Syncrude and I got to work in a lot of these different mines and look at a lot of the different equipment and one of my favorites up there was always the Burf and I don't know if it still exists up there but it was just this massive pump big ugly red fill in the blank for the F and uh, it was just this massive pump on a trailer and we'd laugh all the time and say this thing could pump like 5,000 gallons per minute right and we're like what where could you get the water for this, right? We're used to like a Tokel mill where they've got this great big dugout and it's got 12 hours worth of water and, you know, it's 30 feet deep by 200 feet by 200 feet. And then we go to the, like the sinkroot intake from Mildred Lake that's, I don't know what it is, five, six feet across is the intake to the water plant. And you could see, oh, okay, that's why they have this 5,000 gallon per minute pump, right? Or the Albion sand pumper, they would have these six inch monitors coming off, two off the back and one off the middle. And you're like, what kind of pumper could pump 18 inches of water column? So then we got to see this fire hydrant and the fire hydrants used to be a 24 inch main. They'd come up to like a mushroom head and have five, five inch outlets on it. And it's like, oh, that, that's what could supply the water for this thing, right? And then they'd have to have like this incredible amount of water that they could supply through these pumps, right? And so when you talk about being an industrial firefighter, I think some people think about like HSE or safety boss or firepower. They're going out to these wells. They got a tank truck hooked up to them. Then there's industrial firefighters that work at big plants. Yes. Right? Like you're used to. Like it's basically unlimited water and 20-inch, 30-inch water column, whatever you need to supply, right? Yeah, we'll get the job done with whatever we need. I know there's, we've got contracts with to fly foam in if needed on a C-130. It's a 12-hour flight time to get foam on the ground, stuff like that, and for tank fires. So, I mean, we'll have the water supply and mix it with some foam, and we get a pretty good shot of putting fires out. So, again, like for me, right, biggest tank fire I ever went to, 1,000-barrel tank. <laughs> you guys use that to haul fuel around like yeah. and so it's mind-boggling when you, you talk about totes of foam right you're going through those every few minutes yeah i wouldn't use a tote of foam including training in five years at the places that i've worked right yeah. so i love that whole like epic scope right it's like unbelievable whatever you need we can do it so you're on a stationary monitor or you're on a fire truck monitor or you bring in these big trailers or or whatever you know a lot of these mines have the arf trucks they have the industrial pumpers the all of these different sizes and capabilities the money is different it is it's and it's a private investment for a private company right so 
it's their insurance policy basically to make sure that they're protecting their investments. Right. So unlike a municipal side where it's like the taxpayer is paying to have a municipal fire department to protect their assets, it's a great way to look at it, actually, the private company piece, right? Yeah. And so they literally can spend whatever they think is the right amount to protect their billions of dollars worth of assets that they have on the ground. Exactly, yeah. You don't have to justify to any Joe on the street of why you're you're buying this for your town because it's not for the town, it's for a private industry and a private fire department so right so some manager somewhere has to get the board of directors on board yeah (laughs) as long as the shareholders and the stakeholders are okay with protecting their investment they usually uh, and i mean they there's no reason not to want to invest that money to protect their investments so it is crazy i get to go to a lot of different places i get to go to a lot more places than most people but when i go to these places i always run into people that have gone to other places, right? A mine that's a kilometer underground and they got to have different kinds, you know, the short fire trucks so they fit in the mine and, you know, the different SCBA because it has to last for two hours instead of what we're used to, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Or a place where they're landing planes. So they got to have stuff for planes, plus they have to have stuff for an oil refinery, plus they have to have stuff for a camp. One thing I used to always think about when I was up around the Suncor Syncrude Albion Sands area was some of those camps, right? Like they're three stories tall, yeah. They hold 10, 15,000 people at a time. You can't get your head wrapped around that, right? Like the Super 8 Hotel three-story that every little town has can probably hold 150 people. Yeah. And you're multiplying <laughs> this into, you're putting cities into industrial areas. Right. And you got to protect all that. So you have to protect the kitchen that's in charge of that. You have to protect the area, the lounge area. You have to protect the sleeping quarters. You have to, and so there's all of these different things at all these in different industrial sites that people aren't thinking of, right? Yeah. I mean, you'd be out around the Bonneville Coal Lake area, be driving around the bush and run into a 5,000 person oil field camp. Yeah. That's the size of a lot of people's town. Yeah. You put two of those camps and you're in the town that I'm in right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's, yeah. Even, I mean, some of our turnarounds are twice the size of my, my town for population wise. There's 20,000 people brought in for two weeks yeah. to help fix whatever yeah. or build whatever. or Yeah. And so, I mean, just the scope of everything is, is so much bigger, right? We were talking about foam and, you know, having subsurface injection into tanks and, oh yeah, a tank. And so I've been to a thousand barrel tank fire. Well, some of those are 125,000 barrel tanks. Yeah. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Easily. Yeah. We've got storage there for, for oil and we've got, we're a refinery too, right? So we do a little bit of everything there and at the end of the day you you've got to have unique stuff to for unique situations so everything's on the site and everything's ready to go so let's talk a little bit about training now right you've got to do all kinds of different training for all kinds of different things what are some things that run to the top of your mind fun cool training probably uh liquid petroleum or hydrocarbon fires liquid gas fires are going in there and isolating valves and having two guys on each side or four guys on each side of you that are Literally, your your shield for going in to isolate stuff is, it's amazing because you've got full trust in them and they got full trust in you that you're going to get that isolated and valved out before they uh, Better have that trust anyways. Hot, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a highlight for everyone. I, I still don't know about that training. <laughs> you know, the step, step, step. I think that probably in the industrial world, it makes it's sense to in, have it. Yeah. And I mean, I looking at it on the municipal side, it's, I guess it's, it's a hard battle because they don't do those every day and they don't, I mean, we have oil here and in July of 2019, they had a lightning strike that set off a, an oil battery in the MD and 
But I mean, even at that, you don't have the water supply to to do that kind of a. You don't have the water. You probably don't have the foam. Right? Yeah. There's a bunch of things yeah. that are are missing here. That you're. No, for sure. I mean, that's one thing about the industrial side in the big refineries and the big plants is they have all of that. Yeah. They have kind of unlimited water. They have a lot of foam. They have a lot of backup. They have a lot of firefighters. You know, the HSE firepower. Well, and if we don't have it, we can call one of the places next door to us and they'll bring 20 of them. Yeah, that's right. So. <laughs> yeah. The biggest in North America, yeah. the best in the... Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Now, what about the diversity of it all? So you you have to be able to maybe help out with rescue or rope rescue or firefighting. Yeah. So initially, when I got into it, I was I was fire just fire only. So we had kind of split everything into you're either going to a rescue call, so you're on the rescue team, or you're going to a fire call, you're on the fire team. Well, I was like fire and going to fires, and so I was like, well, that's stuff I want to learn. And then probably. Four or five years ago, we, we kind of combined everything into one skill set, I guess you could say, of rescue and fire. We get training in high angle. We get training in medical, first response, industrial. It's a smaller core group now, but they've got the skills of both sets now, I guess. Or they're training to get the skills of both sets. Instead of having two teams, just yeah. have one kind of Yeah, more. because it's hard to, it's a harder thing to manage, right? Oh, for sure, yeah. Well, you can imagine trying to run two complete teams with two different skill sets trying to, right? So we didn't really talk that much about how we met and how we know each other and how we keep intersecting all the time. But so your your buddies are the guy from Slave, Shane. Shout out, Shane, what up? So you got to meet us through him, right? But we also had a cool intersection that we didn't really necessarily know that we had, which was up in the Fort McMurray wildfire, right? And so it impacts the city. And it's funny because the people on here have heard before. I always tell the story about uh, the great big white ARF truck that showed up and started putting out these trailer fires and kicked us off a hydrant and all of these things. And <laughs> and we were talking about that and you actually shot me a message and you're like, Hey, I got video of that. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, that's cool. You were there too. Right. <laughs> well, it turns out Logan's videos from inside mine is from outside <laughs> watching. So your turn, talk a little bit about the Fort McMurray fire and how you remember it. I can remember it plain as day when I woke up. So I was on night shift that night. And I woke up at two o'clock in the afternoon, which was weird because back then I could actually sleep pretty good. <laughs> Shift work has a, maybe it's even a fire thing. I'm not sure. It might be because you're getting old, bud. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Either one. Could be both, eh? It could be some of everything. Yeah. <laughs> but I woke up at two in the, in the afternoon and I didn't have to be up till five or six. But my room was like, it was an orange glow in my room. And because I'd just woken up, I thought I had an orange garbage bag on my window to, to block the sun for night shift. And then I'm like, hold up, wait a minute. <laughs> my room shouldn't be glowing orange. So then I get up and kind of get my bearings and because I, I had no bag on my window. I had no orange bag on my window, but that's what went to my head. Yeah, I yeah, just that's right. sleeping. So I walk outside and I look out and I'm like, oh, I guess the fire's here. I just seen a big smoke column looking uh, south towards Petro Canada and Thickwood. And I just saw the smoke column and then I looked at my truck at a black Dodge and there was ashes all over and I'm like, well, I said, I guess I better maybe get up and go to work. <laughs> so I called our firewall and they said, yep, if you're coming, get here now. So I called another guy that was on the fire response team and said, hey, we got to get to work. He's like, we don't work till tonight. I said, go look outside. And he looked outside and he's like, holy I'm on shit, the way. <laughs> what's going on? So he's like, what about my boat? I'm like, what do you mean what about your boat? Is it insured? And he's like, well, yeah, but I don't want it to burn. I'm like, well, bring it to work. We can use it as a 
I don't know, a fishing trip or something <laughs> if, if we're up there long enough. <laughs> it was kind of a lot of sit around and wait when I first got there because uh, the powers that are much higher and much smarter than me were to figuring out how to protect our assets while also protecting the asset of Fort McMurray as a city. Right. And eventually around know, six o'clock or maybe even nine o'clock at night, it was in the evening, I got told, hey, you're, you're going in, in the ARF to Fort McMurray. So we jumped in the ARF and there was actually one that was on the way to town earlier in the day and it blew an engine. So it sat on the side of the road for a few months. Yeah. We get past that, that one and I'm like, well, I don't imagine a mechanic's coming to that to fix that anytime soon with what's going on. So continue into town. And our first task was to go up and do the trailer parks up in, in Thickwood. And we get on scene and well, even on the way into town, the, the hills are on fire and I'm looking at a guy that's been on the department for 20 plus years. And I'm like, you ever seen this? And he's like, never in my life. You got to keep in mind, I'd probably been on in the fire service for five, six years at that point, but strictly in a, they call us as we need us. So it was a lot more training than calls, of course, right? Yeah. There was some apartment fires we got called to and stuff like that. And so, I mean, we did get some calls in, but we only really usually got called when, when shit hit the fan was kind of our, we were a good insurance policy for the fire hall. So going into town and I mean, I'm looking at this guy leaning on him for experience and what he's seen and if this is normal, if this isn't. And, <laughs> and this it is not soon normal. became pretty apparent <laughs> that like, and in my head, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, we'll go in and we'll put the fire out and we'll go back to work. And so we go up into Parsons and we put that fire out and McKinley Crescent, sorry. All right, so are we done here? Or like, what's going on here, guys? And, and they're like, no, man, like, that wasn't even really the Meanwhile. fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I was naive. I was in my expectations, I guess, were set a little higher than what they should have been for what we were dealing with. That did cause some trouble after the the fires and for my mindset a bit. Of course, and yeah. It gave me the experience to, to know what to expect. And uh, it was a good, great learning experience to come out of. Yeah. Yeah, see, I was on the opposite end of that. I was like, well, hopefully we don't lose 35% of this city, right? Maybe we get a better save percentage on this one. But so for me, the, you know, the story goes that we're up in, was it Woodland? McKinley Crescent. So Is that the area? And there's all these trailers and we're fighting different ones and, you know, the power's still on and, it, and there's water shortages and there's all these problems. And one of the guys comes up from the truck and he says, hey, I just got kicked off a hydrant <laughs> by another fire truck. Uh, we're going to be a bit. And I'm like... Screw that. Who are those guys? Like, get our truck filled up. We had a pump and roll truck. And I said, get that thing filled up. And he's like, well, I don't I can't. Come with me. And so <laughs> Lee and I walked down there, and there's this massive friggin' ARF truck hooked up to the hydrant. And I was like, okay, they win. Like, first, I'm not even going to fight with these guys, right? And it wasn't that long, you know, 15, 20 minutes, the truck's full, and, and the way it goes. And so we jump on the hydrant next, right? And we're trying to get our 800 gallons loaded up, and we're watching this fire truck, this our fire truck fight fires, right? Like, I mean, literally blowing water in one end of an 80 foot trailer and it's coming out the other end and going up to the attic and shoving it through the vent and just like flooding the whole thing out and multiple trailers with one tank load of water, right? And it was just like, hey, you guys, make sure these guys get the hydrant whenever they want, right? Like, <laughs> this is the one. We should all just get this truck to come, right? It was pretty funny and pretty cool to watch that thing go. And then years later to find out that you're inside this truck, telling the same story but from inside the truck and yours probably includes hey look at all these dummies watching us <laughs> well it wasn't even that it was like 
because I sit back and I look at it and words started getting out. Like once people saw what an ARF truck could do in the town, I mean, they're, they're not made for cities, right? They're made for airports and yeah, maybe some companies that do some other maybe stuff. Industrial like stuff. Yeah. I mean, we can pump and roll. We got a 80 foot snorkel boom on it. And remember the next day people started talking about their ARF trucks and how good they were. And next, you know, we started getting tasked with going to bigger things and scarier things and, <laughs> And then I'm like, oh man, like this is cool. Like we're the only ones in the ARF trucks in this, oh, in this yeah. whole city. And yeah, because who has those? Like, yeah, no town was like, hey, well, we'll bring our ARF truck, right? It had to be industrial customers. Later on, I think some of the wildland guys showed up with like the four wheel drive, nothing like you guys were driving around in, right? Even the piercing nozzle and the, like all of the things that it, these trucks can do, right? And that there's two engines, right? One to drive it and one to run the pump, and all of these crazy things that they could do. And I remember, I don't know, it was day eight or day nine. I was the, for about 24 hours there, I was the urban commander for the whole thing. And that's what I was asking about. I was like, where are the ARF trucks and what are they doing? Right. And then where's the pump and roll trucks and what are they doing? And then kind of, you go through all the rest of the apparatus. And, and I got a call later that day and they're like, uh, yeah, yeah. We heard there's like five tank trucks just sitting in the parking lot and that's all that's left. And I was like, yeah, that's a, all the trucks are working. So that's a good news story. What, what are you upset about? And they're like, well, I don't know, like we're worried. Like yesterday we had 25 trucks sit in the parking lot we could use whenever we needed to. And I was like, yeah, that's because they weren't working, right? Like new strategy. Thanks for bringing that to my attention. I walk right out and I said to these tank trucks, like find out where all these ARF trucks are and go and pace these things, right? So, because if you can pump your load onto them faster, then we don't have to worry about the hydrants and all these other things. And little did they know, then we didn't have any trucks left in the parking lot. (laughs) That would have really upset them. (laughs) I will never forget that lesson, right? Is that one, an ARF truck can do things that no other fire truck can do. And two, they eat water like it's free. And I mean, the funny part about that was we had it on low flow. Like we weren't even on the high (laughs) flow when we were doing that because we were trying to conserve the water. Yeah. You have less than five minutes on high flow with 2,250 gallons. But you're probably putting out a trailer fire every like two or three minutes when we were up up the hill there, which which for us was just like mind-blowing, right? The trailer we left when Lee come and told us, hey, this guy stole our hydrant. Like we'd been on it for 30 minutes and I don't think with 238s and I don't think we'd made any progress at all, right? We were basically just staying warm while it burnt to the ground and... (laughs) Then to sit there and watch in 10% of the time, the thing is out and flooded, right? I would hate to see the water damage inside, but... Yeah, we don't do overall. (laughs) (laughs) It's all at once, right? So that was pretty cool. Acres Emergency Vehicles, a message from our community. A person who is risking his or her life to save the lives and properties of others deserves something as reliable as an Acres Emergency Vehicle. This is our mission to thank these people with the best gift we can, our best effort. Our commitment includes a firefighter-driven design, manufacturing integrity, personal and professional service. We are here to serve. We guarantee personal and professional service every step of the way. Acres Emergency Vehicles, built for a life of service. Please visit our website at www.acresev.ca. So the good, the bad, the ugly, what's the the good stuff you saw in Fort McMurray? So one of my favorite things was we were flowing uh, up in Parsons Creek. We're trying to get a nice cycle time between our two RF trucks going and we were getting pretty low on fuel. 
so we kept giving our IC updates on how our fuel situation was, and we were at five minutes till shutdown. Like we weren't going to be able to flow any water or nothing. And you're not used to seeing any other vehicles, but fire trucks in there. And I look over out my my passenger window, and there's an F three fifty hopping curbs coming at us. I'm like, what's this guy doing? <laughs> Pulls up, and he's like, what side's your tank on? I said, pick one. They're on both sides. So he's got a slip tank in the back of this F three fifty, and he fills up our ARF, and we continue pumping and we so don't know where he's from or don't know who he is don't know what he's from (laughs) i was down to my last cigarette while he was feeling up he's like you guys got gatorade you guys got smokes granola bars and at that point i i was like well i just actually finished my last cigarette he's like he throws me a carton i'm like no i can't take it and so i took i don't know a couple packs or something i couldn't take a carton (laughs) or whatever and some gatorade and i don't think i've i've maybe had two protein bars since that day so yeah when we came up we brought lots of gatorade lots of water lots of granola bars and stuff yeah of course somewhat right yeah and and i can remember a fueling situation we were right on the main drag down franklin avenue there and this public works truck was parked it had a couple slip tanks on the back and there was a fort mcmurray ladder truck on one side and our truck on the other side and we're both getting filled up from these slip tanks right in the middle so that's like what six lanes across three each way and we're just like by ourselves, these three trucks parked there. And it was like a black market bartering session, right? One guy's like, I'll give you four cigarettes for a Gatorade. Another guy's (laughs) like, I'll give you two waters for a Gatorade. And we were just laughing and nobody's really trading anything. We're just giving each other stuff, right? But it's kind of funny to watch this. You know, it's like being in a third world market trying to, you know, get some food or something. But it's all cigarettes and Gatorade and chocolate bars and you know, every once in a while, you'd, you'd hit the mother load and someone would actually have like a can of pop, you know, something yeah. with some sugar in something it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so I hear you on that one. And fuel was hard to get, right? Yeah. I mean, there was lots in the ground, but when there's no electricity, you can't pump it up. Yeah. Well, and then even the community, right? Like we were getting messages from people that were, that were already gone out of town and they're like, hey, if our batteries aren't dead or if we still got power in our house or whatever, here's our door code. And things like that. Yeah, especially when you're you work up there and you know people from yeah. there. And, yeah. yeah. And so the sense of community, even when they were gone, was still there, like and still helping us. I mean, I remember plugging my phone charger into somebody's house, and then <laughs> we'd get off shift and we'd go get dogs out of people's houses. And one of the funniest ones was one of the guys that was with me. He's a, he was a captain. He went to go get a couple of chihuahuas from a house. Because we get a list of pets in the morning. Yeah, and, from uh, their buddies. And, yeah. You want some help? He's like, no, just a couple of chihuahuas. About 10, 15 minutes goes by and we're like, bring the whole team. Let's see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's going on? He's like, they're biting me. They're biting me. So, he's like, I need some gloves. I'm like, oh, I asked you if you wanted those to go in to start with. And you said no. So uh, yeah. we're laughing because the basement window opened and he was yelling out of the basement window to bring us some gloves and come help him because he's got them cornered. These things that he's got. <laughs> like you're chasing some wild animal yeah, or yeah. something. Eh? I mean, those stories are, that's kind of some of the funny parts too, yeah. right? I remember one lady talking about, I got my two kids. She had a sheep, like a lamb, right? And a dog and a cat. And she took a box of crackers and a block of cheese and two bottles of water and her purse but no passport or and she's listing off all these things and she's like i have no idea where i thought i was going or what the she's like i thought well a block of cheese and a box of crackers i'll keep kids quiet for a while right but what else what am i going to feed this sheep and the, the dog and the cat and myself and then two bottles of water for all of that right so three animals two kids and her and she's gonna just take off with two bottles of water <laughs> 
a block of cheese. Yeah, and a block of cheese. But she said, you know, it's the same as everybody. There's yeah. everywhere you stopped, someone was trying to give you something or help you out. Yeah. Or okay, so we covered the good and maybe some of the bad with Chihuahuas attacking you. <laughs> well, it wasn't me. I didn't get attacked. <laughs> you, you were good. Eddie. Yeah, I just brought the gloves into the attacky. <laughs> Do you remember any other things that really stick out in your mind? Of yeah, um, that was some good. Some of the bad was just just the devastation, I guess, and like. At night, you couldn't really tell how much devastation there was. And I mean, I was I was working primarily at night and then switching out in the mornings. And so you get off shift and you'd be driving back to Mac Island and you, it was just basements everywhere. And you're like, wow, how do we stop that? Like, I mean, losing dozers, we had dozers, some equipment operators that were going in, tearing houses down and they lost their dozers in a basement and went in too far and dropped the whole thing into the basement. and. Yeah, and you have a background with heavy equipment, so you yeah. certainly felt for those guys yeah. and what's going on. Yeah. And for the Dukes of Hazards fans, we uh, our truck had a little situation with the go, bo, go, no, bo, no. He was hooked to a cat, and they were pulling him out of the front yard of somebody up in Timberley there, and he was buried pretty good with the truck. And she said go, he said no, and she picked go and just about pulled the front bumper right off of our truck. I think it was, I don't know, 15 or 20,000 damage. And, yeah. But they phoned me up and I was like, is there anything we need to do? And they're like, no, it's just bent up. Everything's working. Okay, well, we'll get it fixed when you get back. Then other than that, get the work, right? There's not no sense crying about it, right? Yeah. And he said, well, the cat operator felt terrible. And I said, well, the cat operator's running like a D8, D8N high track, and they're pulling out a fire truck like, damage was bound to happen like you know if it wasn't bad enough you were stuck in someone's front yard in may in fort mcmurray while the city burnt down getting the bumper ripped off the front by a cat's not really that big of a deal in comparison to yeah. billions of dollars worth of damage right so that was kind of one of those ugly ones for us and i think our structure protection trailer all the contents burned down up in albion there oh it did eh? yeah they got it all set up and then ran out of water and it all burnt and my buddy Dave Tovey, he just came up to me and he said, I got good news and I got bad news. I said, oh, what's the good news? He said, your trailer is down at Mac Island. I said, oh, that's good. And he said, what's the bad news? It's mostly empty. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was just kind of one of those ones where it's sad, but, and then they tell you what happened. You're like, oh, well, you know, it's, I'd rather this stuff went down in flames trying to fight fire than just sitting in a trailer, right? So yeah. at least they tried, right? Yeah. So yeah, that was, for Mac was crazy. It's kind of weird because I think, you know, the three, Patrick Ryan and I, were kind of like the only ones that actually knew what were going to happen there because yeah. we'd been through it before yeah. and it took a while for everyone else to catch up and figure out what was happening there. But Yeah, a little bit of lag time on that for sure because I, I remember, like, I don't know who it was that I seen and I was like, why are they telling me what to do? I don't even know when after if it was the next day or what, but we were like, oh, those are the slave league guys. Like, they've been through this. They've been here. They've done this. So let's let's get some knowledge. Let's get some learning and for us we were like well like we're not used to people coming up to us and being like do this do this do this right like, <laughs> yeah if there's something going on in our area we we got the knowledge and the skills to to get that stuff done but this was a new ball game for us and well for everybody right yeah I mean, there's one slave white guy that always tells the story about that's when they finally decided to start knocking down some buildings oh yeah up in timberley and uh the guy calls the boss, right, for that district. And he happened to be one of the captains for Fort McMurray. And the guy's like, yeah, this guy told me I'm supposed to rip down this building and that building. And they got some cats in a hole here. And and the guy's like, what? What? Who's can't do that? Who said to do that? And he said, oh, what's your, and they got his name. And he said, he's from Slave Lake. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> right? It was kind of neat that sometimes your reputation precedes you, but kind of 
bad that sometimes your reputation precedes you. Yeah. Double-edged sword on that one. <laughs> For sure. A lot of the city got saved, right? I think yeah. that's something to always think about. And to see that evacuation was something that I'll never yeah. forget as long as I live, right? That one bus that was in between the two highways, just high-centered on the... You maybe never even saw mm-hmm. that, but it was up past the Super 8, the Flying okay, J that yeah. burned down there. It was literally parked like a bridge from highway to highway. It covered... So they tried to turn tried around. Tried to turn around. And just got high centered right in the middle of the whole thing gotta do a 45 drive yeah almost. sat there for well and it was spring right so everything was yeah. soft and so that was kind of cool to see and then the last security guard out of the hospital when he handed the keys to me and he said good luck call me tomorrow and let me know if the hospital makes it and i was like all right seven story hospital in a hundred thousand person city he's like i got you bud see you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was good it was it was kind of crazy after that, we either talked to each other or heard about each other back and forth through Shane and, and through the fire and all the rebuild. And then in 2018, you got to come to Slave Lake, actually, yeah. and hang out with us for the CVFSA conference. Yeah. So what did you think of that? I've been to conferences and I've been to stuff, but that was one of the most welcoming and most one of the nicest conferences that I've ever seen get put on. It was a full aspect thing. and. I'm not just tooting your horn out. Of course, you. I know you. You wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and plus, I had very little to do with it. It's a big team. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it was like everything from the skills training to the vendors that were there. And actually, I still got a pack of, a few packs of batteries that were sent to me after the fact. Oh, from the Duracell yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 I still got some in my house up there. The kids haven't used them all yet. Yeah. And just seeing the wildland trucks. And I mean, I... Even at that time, I didn't really have an idea of municipal firefighting, right? Not on a, a grand scale of like... Yeah, I hadn't been in that part of the business yet. Yeah, yeah. so seeing some of those wildland trucks that you guys had there and and seeing what they can do and what they're designed for, it was like freaking trucks. Like those are... That's an, an aspect in the municipal side that's really changed quite a bit. Right, like it used to just be a one ton with a tank on the back and now even like the most plain one ton with a tank on the back still has hose reels, still has bigger pumps, bigger tanks, all those things. So it's been fun to watch that kind of progress as it goes. I loved CVFSA too. I think we've talked about that some on some of the different podcast episodes. But to me, what was fun was you had people from coast to coast. Yeah. By that time, I kind of committed already to visiting 500 fire halls in five years. It was just before that, I think 2016, just after Fort Mac that I said, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And so I got to start visiting a bunch of fire halls. I think I was maybe only at a couple hundred by then. But here's all these people coming to Slave Lake that I'd visited in Nova Scotia, New Brunswick. With the... Is it Japan or? Yeah, there were some people there from Japan that we got to meet. That was uh, set up through the CVFSA. That was nice too. Yeah, it was cool to listen to their system, right? 20,000 volunteer firefighters in their system and like all this crazy, the crazy numbers, right? Even in their cities, right? Just the urban parts had full-time firefighters, but all the suburban parts had volunteers. And there's so many different ways to do it. And I think that that conference was the first time. So some of that Japanese stuff, some of the stuff from East Coast, right? Uh, The Middle East, I call it, Central Canada, (laughs) the West all kind of meeting at the same time to just see 
see, you know, what's the same, what's different. And I'm often heard to say that if we had 400 fire departments, we'd run them 500 different ways. And and that conference really kind of proved that, but it also kind of launched in my head the fact that we don't have to do that. If we have 400 fire departments, can't we run them 200 different ways? Like give us a chance to, right? And so it was kind of the kickoff point for that. And, And there was just so many like you being there, you know, all of these different people that came from different walks of life, right? So here you are at that time, an industrial firefighter, and yet you're coming, you know, yeah, because you got a buddy there, yeah, because you have a connection to the Fort McMurray wildfire with all of us, but, you know, to just be there and see all that it had to offer. For us, that was, I think, a big part of those conferences, and I think that COVID has really kind of killed that for everyone. Yeah, it's been a I can't wait to see what the conferences look like moving forward, right? Oh, they're going to be huge. They're going to be big. They're going to be bigger, better, badder yeah. than ever before, right? And I hope anyways. I can't imagine that they won't be. So, okay, we get through all of that stuff. And then all of a sudden, one day, you move out to Tabor, Alberta, and, and you decide, hey, you know what I should do? I should be a volunteer firefighter with all my free time. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I get the luxury of my days off or my days off. I'm not committed to anything. I'm... I don't have to work a second job or any of that stuff. So I, I moved out to Tabor and I I was like, well, I'm going to volunteer uh, my time to learn the municipal side of it and kind of get to see what the other side of the coin, for lack of a better term, is, right? And three years ago, I decided to join um, the MDF Tabor Fire Department, look at the municipal side of things. And that was that was a huge eye opener. You don't have water. <laughs> from don't have unlimited everything <laughs> no from i would want to say fall till spring till they open up the reservoirs your tanker trucks and private water suppliers is that's your water source you don't have a hydrant you can connect to out in a farmer's field and you don't need a 6200 gallon per minute fire truck if you can only supply 200 gallons a minute exactly <laughs> right yeah <laughs> That would be a huge lawn ornament, and that's about all I could do here, right? Exactly. So water conservation and the the ways you fight fires here when you don't have the the water that you have in a city or an industrial setting. So for me and Kirsten this morning, we're driving out and we're really looking at the open landscape, right? And so like we're used to trees and hills and all these things. Since we've been down in Chestmer, since we're down in the south, we really notice how open and everything is. And you used to always hear about these stories like, you know, oh, there's a big grass fire. And like one town just calls the next town and say, hey, we just sent you a fire. It's, we put out our part, but it's coming to you. And you just laugh and you think, oh, yeah, what a bunch of nuts. How they tell these stories. But then you get here and you're like, no, that's true. Like, yeah, it's nothing for a fire to go 20 30 kilometers across yeah. a bunch of fields and well we had the hilda fire that the one where the gentleman was killed there that one went into saskatchewan that started here like just outside of our md right we had our own grass fires that day too plus we sent a team out there so we had four or five grass fires kicked off here and then plus we had sent the team out to do the hilda fire and so they're moving fast. There's lots of supply. The, the grass is tall here. And, and so it's moving through the fields. It's moving through the ditches at lightning speed with uh, lots of intensity, right? Yeah. It's a different kind of firefighting, right? Oh, so it, is. Yeah. it might be really hot and might be really scary because the flames are 200 feet tall when you're dealing with the trees. But down here, it's lower flame heights, still hot, moving fast. You got to be careful where you park. You got to be careful where you drive. Different kind of apparatus. We really see that when we travel around down here. There's a lot of different, everything from the one ton with a booster reel and a water tank and a pump on the back up to big thousand gallon trucks that are moving around. 
lots of ground sprays, lots of front bumper monitors and all of those kinds of things. So not quite an ARF truck. No, no. <laughs> She's got some good ground clearance though. Yeah, especially the four-wheel drive ones that are, you know, able to go and do those things. And so, you know, the differences between industrial and municipal, what are some of the biggest differences that you see? Some of the biggest differences, I guess, would be um, money. Industrial, you're, like we talked earlier. Funded by the business, for the business. Whereas here we have to justify to the taxpayers why we're doing what we're doing, right? Right. The other would be um, the time people have. They're taking their time out of their days, like, We'll get a call at two in the morning. They're dropping everything they have, and then they're going to work at five in the morning or six in the morning. If I'm at work, I'm doing that. And I'm still getting paid to go to that call, and my business is my company supporting me and going to that. Right. Whereas uh, these guys are are getting supported, but they're going to work that morning and and they're tired. And I mean, that's a lot of sacrifice that you don't see from from an industrial side, right? You don't get to see that volunteer side or that the sacrifice that people are actually making to to make a difference in their community. And then I guess water supply is a huge one. And then the type of trucks you run and the, the pump sizes, the right. the types of trucks. So you've seen a lot of different trucks now, right? Yeah. At the conference, CVFSA conference, probably 30 different kinds. Yeah. You know, here at the MDA Tabor, you've you got 20 some different trucks. You've seen the industrial ones, all kinds of different ones. Fort McMurray, there was hundreds and hundreds of different trucks. You got some favorites? Do you have some that yeah. stick out in your mind? Yeah, I mean, uh, the ARF trucks are probably always going to have a, a spot in my heart just because of what they can do and and what they did for us in 2016. And they're just a badass truck. I mean, everything about their eight wheel drive, <laughs> the back tires turn with the front ones, 30 degrees or 15 degrees. They've got dry cam, they've got water, they've got foam. Yeah. yeah. So they lean, mean firefight machine yeah, all by itself. Yeah, right? it's a Leatherman in a in a fire hole <laughs> for sure. They're also two and a half million dollars, so we're not getting any of those. Just put that out of your mind for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> for an engine, my favorite midship mount with a enclosed cab. You stay warm in the winter and you stay cool in the summer. And Spoken you can like see, a pump operator. <laughs> you can see both sides of the call. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. yeah your I mean, age is speaking again there. <laughs> <laughs> you get to see both sides. Um, of a call, you, it's a good 360. Whereas if your truck is set up on one side, yeah, you can walk around and look, but you can't get too far from your pump, right? So for setup terms, that's kind of my favorite for that reason. And then our wildland trucks are, they get to places and they get to go to places and they're they're meant to go there, right? So yeah, I think that's a huge change. Like you're seeing so many crazy kinds of wildland trucks right some good some bad but the change i mean change is always good i guess in a way right it's uh, driving the customer to say what do you want what do you need this truck to do and then trying to get it and i see a lot more of that in the fire service now whereas the change part of it i mean back in the day when i joined which isn't even that long ago in in all aspects in comparison to you i'm not gonna throw some age out there but (laughs) (laughs) people have seen me they know how old i am (laughs) you were taught this is the way we do it there was never why we do it this way or this is the way it's done and that's how you do it and now you as things progress and more science and more knowledge comes into the fire service you get to see more of the why we're doing it and you get to ask those questions now well is that the right way 
Right. Are we doing things the proper way? And we were talking about that this morning, right, uh, with the regional chief here, Nathan, and yourself, and Kirsten, and I. You know, just talking about different pieces of equipment you see on the truck, right? And yeah. I always call them the historical pieces, right? <laughs> so the the forty five year old nozzles and yeah. the, why do you have four different kinds and sizes of gates on your truck and why do you have this double Siamese or a double male, double female? And everyone's like, well, don't you know what those are for? Yeah. Yeah. I've been in the fire service for 30 plus years. I know what they're for, <laughs> but in that 30 plus years, I've never used one. Yeah. I've never deployed a hose backwards. Or <laughs> <laughs> right. And so it's all these different things and talking about it in different ways. And, and you're right. There's certainly some people out there that are like, I got taught this way. I'm going to teach you that way. And you teach the next guy that way. And we're not going to change our mind but i do think that the fire service changes quite a bit and i really see that with the industrial customers because it's a private investment for a private facility and they can spend the right amount of money if somebody gives them a good business plan they can say yes and and they can move it forward so you see good equipment and different equipment and they can move forward with technology and and all these things whereas sometimes with the taxpayer right like why can't we use a tank truck it's the same thing yeah. Well, it's not, and here's a million reasons why, but, right, it's just this perspective of the person that's saying it, right? Yeah. And so those things are, are kind of crazy. One thing I really wanted to ask you about was your family. So your kids, your family, you're an industrial firefighter, you go up to work for a week, and you do your thing, and you come home for a week, and they don't really get to hang out at the fire hall and see the trucks and, the, you know, whatever pictures you bring home or stories, but versus now that you're with the MD of Tabor, do the kids get a little more interested in? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, my youngest, Bentley, he's, uh, any chance he gets, he'll ask to go to the fire hall and sit in the trucks or go in the parades and stuff like that. And the, the boys, my other two boys are, are kind of like that, Maddox and Mason too, but my daughter is... Meh. Meh. <laughs> it's a red truck that's got lights and sirens. Why should that make... My daughter was like that too, but it's different now. Now she's... We got her. She's part of the yeah. family business. Yeah. She does EM work. Didn't come in under the fire flag, but we got her halfway through the door and... Perfect. And it's actually funny. We uh, were talking to her just not a few weeks ago. She was talking about all the times I thought I was hurting her feelings, right? I missed the party or I couldn't pick her up or... She was like, oh, no, this is part of your job. We totally just behind you because that's what you got to do. You, you got to go help people. And so here I am thinking she had all this resentment waiting for the counselor to call me and tell me what an idiot dad I am. And actually what turns out is, you know, as much as she probably didn't love coming to the fire hall and wash fire trucks with us, it didn't hurt her any. And she actually just knew that being part of the fire department was a good thing. So I was surprised to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me that the boys are into it and yeah. the girls not as much, but... There's hope, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh... My stepdaughter, Tori, she might be a little more, like we have a junior program here. Okay. That was going to be my next question, right? Like, do you see any of them kind of heading that way? Because Bentley, for sure. And then Tori, I think she, she's she got some adrenaline junkie stuff in her, so I can see her kind of trying to move into this if I uh, if I push her the right direction. And Nice, nice. And that's the thing that, like, I'm getting, I, I wouldn't say I'm, I have a long career in it yet. 11 12 years in but i'm at that point where i can start sharing some of this knowledge with the people that are coming in now right right on. and that's kind of the biggest thing i like about being in the municipal side is there's all these young people that are coming in and they're 18 19 20 and they've got eyes like big as saucers and <laughs> and they're seeing all this stuff and i mean there's a couple of younger guys on our department here kyle and andrew and i mean to go from not knowing what a pump is or not know how to run the wildland till to now they get in they know to open the doors they know 
what trucks we're rolling out with, depending on the call. And I mean, just to watch that growth is amazing to, to see them go from, they wouldn't know how to put a door code into they're driving the trucks or they're responding and you got it bang on it you know some of my favorite things you know people hear me talk about logan and ryan and patrick and i mean all the young people that came through the fire department i could go on all day but to see that growth eh, and and to see like you're going into some of the scariest situations imaginable for most people and they're just handling it like a trooper you know at a young age 16 17 18 right how old was logan during that cf the conference cvsa conference i don't know if he was 20 yet yeah, he was young because he had just right? got on with the department. Yeah, or, yeah. And I mean, I, I go on Facebook every once in a while and I'll, I'll see him or just the growth I see just over from then. And I'm like, wow, like they're growing and they're they're accelerating and they're doing great with what they've been given, right? It's so fun to watch, you know, them come through that. So this all kind of comes together with my last question for you, which is what does your future in the fire service look like? Where are you pushing yourself to go? So right now, my future in the fire service, um, I mean, I've just recently applied for an officer position with the MD, Tabor. We'll see where that goes. And then I'm happy just, just staying there for a little while. And as a lieutenant, if I get it, I like to kind of keep my boots on the ground still. And then maybe in five, 10 years, I'll look at maybe getting into some more penmanship or some more of the higher stuff. But yeah. For now, it's... The end of the hose is more fun than the end of the pen? Yes, yes, <laughs> it is. For now. But yeah, that's that'll be my future for now. Is just I just want to help with the young guys coming in and their growth and the young girls coming in. and You know, I think you got a really good way of looking at it. I miss the whole middle officer piece. I went from firefighter to what I guess you'd call senior firefighter. Never wanted to get off the pump or the hose. Like, I just had to be right there all the time. Went away to the fire school for a year and came right back as a deputy. So I missed the whole, there was no captains back then, but I missed, or lieutenant, sorry, but I, I missed the whole captain piece and had to learn the hard way. I can tell you over the next yeah. few years how that goes, right? Because it's going from firefighter to being a boss of firefighters is a transition without a doubt. So it's good to hear you talk like that and see those kinds of things. Now, I would say to you, don't forget to push yourself to take officer training and to, you know, get mentored by the good officers that you run into and to ask a lot of questions because that'll set you up for for the future yeah 100 percent. and i still bug you with some some questions here and there about <laughs> what you listen to and what uh sure yeah. what you look at for mentorship we get that a lot right i mean you know which books are you reading which podcasts are you listening yeah. to and it's funny because you run a podcast everyone thinks you listen to 50 podcasts because you i barely listen to any podcasts yeah. <laughs> right i'm busy recording these ones and getting these ones going but but books, I, I'm totally into the leadership stuff as far as the books go. And so I'm always trying to shoot some stuff out there. And we're doing some Brene Brown stuff in the truck last road trip or a couple road trips ago. And it was just like Kirsten and I. So Kirsten's been doing, you know, HR, travel, safety, all these different things for 20 some years. I'm in the fire service world for 30 some years. And we're both like looking at each other, just mind blowing on all these different things that this lady's saying about leadership and getting through difficult discussions. And I just love it that you're always learning. You're always training on something. That's the best part about the firefighting. If it's something you love, it doesn't matter what it is, right? If you have a passion for it, learn it and understand it and then grow with it. No better place to end it right there. Logan Man, Season 2, Episode 8. Thanks for having us out, buddy. It's been a great day. You betcha. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Growing Up Fire today. 
Follow me on Instagram at Chief Coots to comment or send questions. We appreciate your support.